This is Live Well Talk on COVID-19 Update. I'm Dr. Dustin Arnold, Chief Medical Officer at UMay Point Health, St. Luke's Hospital. Uh, this week, I'm going to give an update of what's going on in the hospital, what we're seeing in the community, as well as touch on uh, a change in natural immunity, or at least a, a position that's changed. And we'll discuss that in a little detail. And then uh, stick around, we have an episode of The Mailbag, uh, which will uh, address some COVID issues. And there's some really great questions that really are are, are will be uh, very uh, will complement this update. First off, in the hospital, we are seeing a decrease in the percentage of positive. We were around forty percent, so that means that patient comes to the hospital, they have cough, cold, respiratory symptoms. We run a COVID test, and forty percent of the time it was positive. We've now dropped down to nineteen percent. Uh, so that tells us that the prevalence, meaning the amount of COVID nineteen in the community, is going down. So that's that's a good sign. Uh, also, the number of active cases in the community has been going down by about 500 each day that's reported. So that means, let's go back to what we talked about before, you have the susceptible bucket, the infected bucket, the recovered bucket. People are leaving that middle bucket into recovered faster than people are coming in. And that was not the case up until a couple of weeks ago. And hopefully we'll continue to see that trend uh, continue down. Um, the rate of transmission, that is the number of cases that a case of COVID causes how many different other cases? Like measles, I think is six. So for every person that has measles, I think the R naught on that is around six. So it's a lot. COVID uh, has been right around two at the highest uh, when it's tracked. And it is now down to 0.7 as of this morning. New York Times had it at 0.65. I don't know why the difference is between the, the, what we calculate here locally and what's calculated there, but it, it's less than one. So that means less than one case happens for every case of COVID, and that's an excellent number. One issue that just I bring up, uh, if you're uh, someone that donates blood on a regular basis, uh, the blood supply has been with uh, less than one day supply of multiple types. I think it was AB negative this morning, as well as OMEG, uh, which is the universal donor. Uh, so if you are someone that does, uh, does uh, give uh, donates blood, please can make that consideration. Link County continues in high transmission with about 550 cases per 100,000. Uh, and we'd like to see it in moderate, which is less than 100 uh, for 10 days. And then we could talk about what degree of masking we need to continue. The other positive sign that I'm seeing is that the uh, wastewater report, and we'll put up that graphic, uh, shows significant decline, a peak and a, and a decline that's persistent. And this is, uh, this is very exciting. Uh, and I was happy to see that graphic this week when it came to me. I also think that this is a, a future of technology that will be used on many different levels. Uh, and uh, we'll continue to see that grow as, as time goes, goes on, uh, what we can use that for. As far as the vaccinated and unvaccinated and severity of illness, uh, we had been at about uh, 85-15, meaning 85% of the patients were unvaccinated. And now it's, uh, as of this week, looking at it Monday morning, ICU had 30% were vaccinated, 70% unvaccinated, and the med medical surgical floors were 40% vaccinated, unvaccinated, 60%. So you can see the uh, unvaccinated, vaccinated starting to level out. Uh, almost approaching, and it has approached over 50% in some locations. Um, 
Also last week we had influenza cases of number 57 influenza A and B was one. Uh, so again, this year we're seeing a relatively benign flu season. We hope that continues. Uh, as we talked before, there's no carryover immunity from last year. Natural immunity, um, that, 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 that's, that was something that I want to say taboo, but really discouraged over time. Uh, and it was the, the, the emphasis was placed on the vaccine. Uh, even though the Cleveland Clinic study, we talked about that like six months into the pandemic, had the study that natural immunity was very effective. And the, the, the rationale behind that was, well, hey, we can uh, put, uh, dedicate these resources, the vaccines to, to countries that don't have vaccines. But uh, Dr. Fauci this week referenced uh, that uh, vaccination and previous infection uh, will contribute to the COVID restrictions being lifted. And that's the first time that uh, from the national level that there's been uh, advocacy uh, of natural immunity uh, for that. Still, there, we do not have a reliable antibody test. Uh, we've talked about that in previous podcasts, and that's, that is persistent from that standpoint. In regards to the new oral antivirals, kind of hard to get. The supply is really low. The Paxlovid, which is a Pfizer product, uh, is first line for outpatients with mild to moderate COVID-19. Um, it's for 12 and up. The uh, Molnupiravir, and I have a hard time pronouncing that one, is for 18 and up, and that's the Merck product. Uh, it has to be started within five days of symptoms, and it's five. Uh, it's twice a day for five days, 10 doses. Uh, right now, it's it's subsidized by the government, uh, but it is hard to get. Uh, at, and so if your physician does prescribe it, the pharmacy may or may not have it, and hopefully the supplies will increase. Uh, the most recent uh, prescriber's letter uh, from this week which is a document that gives uh, unbiased recommendations on drug therapies. It's really, it's re I enjoy reading it. It's really a good periodical that comes. But uh, the early evidence suggests that Paxlovid will prevent uh, one hospitalization in 18 high-risk patients. And that's very close to what the monoclonal antibodies were doing. So it should, does show some benefit. The Merck product will prevent hospitalizations in one in 35. So, so it is obviously favored from that standpoint. Um, there are a lot of drug interactions, so be sure that you uh, ask that of your physician if they should recommend that. That's into the COVID-19 update. Stick around for an episode of the Mailbag. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the mailbag. The mailbag is a segment where I take the an opportunity and truly is an opportunity to uh, take questions from listeners and answer them during the podcast. And they're always good questions and they're always so, uh, uh, in my opinion, applicable to what we're talking about. Uh, th the first question is from Lori and it's how beneficial is masking? How did it impact the spread of the virus overall? And why are we seeing masking mandates dispersed now? Yeah, you know, it's come full circle, Lori. So prior to the pandemic, we, we knew that wearing a mask prevents me from giving you uh, a, a condition. So if I have a cough, cold, and I put a mask on, I reduce the amount of transmission or droplets that I put into the air. And there, there is just this whole evolution during the pandemic of what mask and cloth mask are, aren't effective and 
And it's really come full circle back to wearing a mask protects you from uh, from spreading. Now to wear an N95, the fitted mask, uh, that would protect you from spreading as well because it's fitted and, and it subsequently protects, it, protects from spreading uh, too. And I think the masking mandates are letting up. One is, as I've commented before, people don't wear masks correctly. And how much influence it had on spreading uh, the spreading the contagion during the uh, pandemic. We don't know that yet. There is a Denmark study which showed that it didn't really have any benefit. Uh, a masking that didn't influence it. Masking is not a way. Masking for a community is not a strong mitigation factor in this study that they did. Uh, that, that study would have to be repeated. But I've used that analogy that the mask is like, there's no study that says you should wear a parachute if you jump out of an airplane, because who's going to volunteer for the control group not to wear the parachute, right? So it really, I think Dr. Deal says this, or I said this on a podcast, What it doesn't hurt, you know, wear a mask appropriately, and it will uh, reduce the amount of droplets in the air and then hence possibly reduce transmission, but it's not 100% effective. Our next question is from Jackson. Are there any updates on the antiviral pill produced by Merck? When will this be readily available in Iowa? Well, we, we talked about that in the update today. Um, it's in Iowa, it's just very limited supply right now. Uh, I do not personally know of any physician that's been able to prescribe it. I know some docs that have tried uh, on the mild to moderate, uh, particularly when you had a cutback on the monoclonal antibodies, and we'll certainly keep uh, that uh, in, uh, in forefront and talk about that more as it goes on especially what's cost going to be. Uh, will drug plans from insurance companies pay for it? Those are questions yet to be answered, and we'll certainly give an update on those when they do come. The next question is from Jordan. I saw a report that Iowa lawmakers advanced a bill that would allow uh, ivermectin on COVID-19 patients. What are your thoughts on ivermectin for COVID-19 and its option for Unipoint Health patients? Well, the, the lawmakers did say that allow use ivermectin, and I think I think that's a tough question. Uh, first of all, the evidence supporting ivermectin is starting to be accumulated. The early evidence was pretty noisy. Um, there's some a study from Brazil that says, well, you know, this may uh, actually show some benefit in mild, moderate, prior to being hospitalized, prior to being on oxygen, which I, I think that'll always be hard to 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 confirm because those patients may have gotten better anyway. So the ivermectin is just coincidental. So we do need some reproducibility on that. Uh, there has been, uh, uh, I think for physicians that prescribe ivermectin, they're gonna need two things. One is uh, larger evidence that supports uh, its use and at what dose. Uh, it, is the dose the same that I give someone for scabies? I don't know, and uh, that needs to be concerned. And the second is that the Federation of uh, Medical Boards, State Medical Boards, the American Medical Association, and the American Pharmacy Association, they prohibited ivermectin and have threatened sanctions against physicians. And they would have to come forward to say, no, we're not going to pursue sanctions, et cetera. Uh, and I think the best description I have, and I thought about this a lot this weekend, um, this past weekend, that as a physician, I'm not really an epidemiologist. And what does that mean? That means I have to think about the patient I'm caring for, and that's the only patient I should be considering at the time I'm caring for them, right? So I'm seeing the patient either on a hospital ward or in the clinic, 
They, they should be my only focus of attention at that time. And at that time, I should say, well, would ivermectin work for this patient or wouldn't it? Is, would it be benefit? Would it be risky because of drug interactions, et cetera, et cetera? And an epidemiologist, though, has to stand back and look at it from the entire community. Is this a mitigation factor? Will this prevent hospitalizations, et cetera? And, and so there is a balance there, uh, or a, a difference, not a balance. There is a difference there saying, one is where you're focused on the risk benefit to that particular patient, and the other is you're looking across the community. I don't think you can approach solving that problem with the same. There are two different tool sets and mindsets, and uh, I think physicians have always known this, that is the doctor-patient relationship and deciding whether to give a medication or not give a medication is based on the risk-benefit for that patient. And it might not apply to all patients. All patients may not uh, need ivermectin. You may have a patient that it, that uh, uh, you feel that ivermectin may be a benefit, even though the evidence is weak. Uh, I I think I read it. I may have said it on a previous podcast, and I hope I don't get this wrong. We have very uh, smart listeners, and maybe some will correct me. But I think it's 40% of the time physicians use something that's off-label, meaning they use a medication, let's say colchicine, uh, which is for gout, but they use it for pulmonary fibrosis. They use it for some sort of anti-inflammatory condition. Um, and it, that that's completely appropriate, and that happens all the time. And again, it's the risk-benefit to that particular patient. So more to come on that. Uh, I think uh, some of the passion and emotions regarding ivermectin needs to settle down a little bit and hopefully we'll construct uh have data and look at it and say yeah it does appear to have benefit in mild and moderate disease i don't based on everything i've read i do not think ivermectin has a benefit in the patient that's in the intensive care unit now there was the case in illinois where they gave the person ivermectin they came off the ventilator which you know that's a great ending to that story i don't know if the ivermectin played a part in that Maybe it did, maybe it didn't. And um, we'll continue to, to keep you updated on that. Great question. Our next question is from Nathan. With Moderna receiving FDA approval, which did happen last week, or within the last two weeks for sure, which vaccines are now approved and which are still under emergency use authorization? Well, there, we'll put up a graphic that shows that on, still under the EUA is the Pfizer product for ages 15, 15 to 5. And the Johnson and Johnson still is on the EUA. And I just saw an email yesterday that uh, from Medscape, which kind of gives you this updates in medicine, that Johnson Johnson has paused manufacturing its vaccine uh, due to the thromboembolic events, uh, meaning the the blood clotting events and subsequent deaths. So uh, they continue to to look at that, and uh, the Johnson Johnson is not messenger RNA is favored over. The Johnson Johnson this time, but it's the Moderna is only approved for 18 and older. Pfizer, it's at, at the age of uh, 16 and older with emergency use authorization uh, for 5 to 15. And that graphic is on the, the um, screen. Our last question is from Karen. Since Omicron is abating vaccine immunity, why would a booster which has formulated to protect against the original spike protein be effective now against Omicron? Well, we, we are seeing that the booster may prevent hospitalization. Um, I think it was a, if you got Omicron, it reduced it down to like 60% uh, versus 90%. Uh, and the spike protein, Omicron would have enough resemblance to the wild type or the alpha, pre-alpha, when they developed the vaccine 
that it may have some effect, but it's not going to be the effect that you would expect. And uh, whether the booster will help protect against Omicron does appear that it may prevent severe illness, and that's probably because you still get the infection. There's enough of similarity with the spike protein and the booster that it does prevent serious infection. That's what it appears, uh, but you're absolutely right. Uh, some, you know, like I said in the update, we're about a 60-40 uh, split on the medical surgical ward. So people out on the, the floors and a 30-70 uh, vaccinated versus unvaccinated in the enti intensive care unit. That was 90-10 six weeks ago. So it's changing. And that either reflects the Omicron not, not being protected from the booster. Uh, I do know this. I review all the deaths that occur. And I, we have not had... Uh, unless they were significantly immunocompromised, they had an immune system that's not working correctly. We've not had any patients pass away uh, relate, that were had the both vaccines and the booster. Uh, so I do think there is some benefit from the booster if it's available, uh, it, as it may have enough similarity to the Omicron. Now, Pfizer CEO announced that they were going to make this Omicron variant. I haven't uh, heard much more about that. And... Uh, by the time they get it to market, Omicron may be gone. Uh, so let's let's. I'd rather see Omicron gone than a new vaccine. Great question. And that's all for the mailbag today. If you have, if you'd like to submit a question regarding COVID or just other uh, topics that we've covered on podcast, please send your request to the mailbag, and that is unitypoint.org/backslash/mailbag. Common spelling of mailbag. Now, the mailbag is not a substitute for routine care or personal issues to address as regards medical illness. And therefore, I would request that you make those uh, inquiries or request to your family physician uh, and your primary care clinician or go to the local emergency room uh, or call 911 if the emergency room is not closely available. Uh, once again, that is mailbag, unitypoint.org backslash mailbag. Uh, look forward to hearing from our amazing listeners. Thank you for listening to COVID-19 update for the latest on COVID-19 uh, vaccine information and more visit unipoint.org. Thank you for listening to Live Well Talk On. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your family, friends, neighbors, strangers about our podcast. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, be well.